I am never quite ready for Christmas to be over, and I'm, I'm actually thankful that the church has a little bit different calendar than the world has, because really we've been doing Advent for all these weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, and then we start Christmas, so we're going to continue to celebrate Christmas a little bit this morning. Someone was kind of going on the way back machine this morning telling stories about their taking pictures when they were a kid with a brownie camera, and it made me think about when I used to use actual film in my cameras, and I actually was very reluctant to go to digital. But you remember, every, all of you who took camera with films, you remember how there was always a little bit of mystery because you had to send the film in and then get it developed and then you were never quite sure if you were going to get any pictures that were worth keeping or not keeping, but uh, now we get the instant kind of instant answer. I, I think of Advent as kind of like the de- developing pictures. That there's this kind of four weeks of looking forward to the coming of Jesus and expecting this birth and anticipating all that. And then today we get to actually develop the picture fully and say, look, this is what, this is what came from it. And uh, that's what I want us to do this morning. Before I read the scripture lesson, I actually want you to turn and talk to your neighbor and talk about what kind of Christmas cards you like to get, the kinds of Christmas cards you most like to get, okay? Just talk to somebody sitting nearby you there and Of course, I like to get the kind of Christmas cards that have gift cards in them. That's the kind I like to get. <laughs> okay, we're going to read a little bit of a different passage uh, than we normally think of at Christmas, but this, I think, gives us a full picture of what came from the birth of Jesus. And so it's from the book of Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We actually could probably start in any of Paul's letters. He gives us these little snapshots of the result of Jesus coming. But if you've got a Bible, good. Otherwise, there's one in the chair there, or you can pull out your phone and look it up online. Uh, But I'd like to have you read along with me if you can. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read a pretty good chunk, starting with verse 3. Colossians 1, 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for heaven, for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day when you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since that day I have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. One of the things that I like to do at some time in our Christmas season is I like to go back through the pile of Christmas cards that we get, and I always notice that there's certain themes that come up, and one of those themes is kind of the wintry outdoor theme, which we're all kind of grateful that it wasn't actually here this year, but somewhere else. These cards usually have, like, you know, snow-covered houses and churches in New England and horse-drawn sleighs and, like, warm candles glowing in the window. That's one of the themes that I noticed. Another theme that seems very popular this year is the themes of uh, animals frolicking in the snow. And this could be not only reindeer, but chipmunks and raccoons and squirrels and gray mice and even penguins. I, I got some penguin cards and gave some penguin cards this year. And then, of course, there's the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus on the more traditional cards where you have like the manger scene or the city of Bethlehem or the wise men riding their camels toward the city or something like that. These traditional cards um, all have kind of the, the characters from the Bible pictured as being nice, uh, peaceful, serene, calm, everything is nice. And inside these cards, they stress sunny words and, you know, love and peace and goodwill and happiness and cheer and warmth. This is all part of our getting Christmas cards. So Leah told me this was the most depressing sermon on Christmas cards ever. Has it got there yet? Is this the warm, sunny part of it? Okay. Beware. One of the most popular category of cards are family photos. I actually love to get the family photo cards. It's one of my favorites. These also make our families look all nice and serene and peaceful and calm, right? Because we get them all dressed up and get them all lined up and get the pictures. Although any of us who have had kids can remember more than one year in which the kids did not cooperate and we had to struggle to get them properly posed. One of my favorite Christmas cards of all times came, we found out it was nine years ago. It's a family that used to come to this church. Some of you remember the boxes, Tim and Carrie Box. Some of you may have received this card. Here's how the front of the card looked. It was a picture of their two adorable children. Isn't that sweet? Uh, And on the bottom of the card, it says staged. And then you (laughs) open up the inside of the card and you see this picture. (laughs) And the phrase inside there was, keeping it real at Christmas, was the thing that it said inside the card. And I always get a huge kick out of this, because I feel like this is the most honest way to send a Christmas card, right? Because 
Even though we like these nice, calm, peaceful, serene, kind of sentimental pictures of Christmas, they're not really that accurate because most of our families are not calm, peaceful, and serene. Maybe most of the time we're not that. We have the kind of Clark Griswold ideal family Christmas in our mind, and it just never happens. We don't have that. We have uh, tumult and turmoil and chaos in our families. And maybe we're all just a little bit stressed out and crabby by the time we get to Christmas, and maybe some of our families are on the dysfunctional end of the spectrum, so we never get peace or calm. And actually, if you read the biblical story of Christmas, you actually find more turmoil there than you do peace. If you read the story carefully and don't just add our assumptions to it, that the accounts of the first Christmas have this tone of disruption, like there's something big about to happen, but this thing is going to really turn the world upside down. That's the sense that you get. And that's actually the sense that we try to build in our four weeks of Advent as we move. You know, we have the candle of hope and love and joy and peace, but we're talking about a world that's coming that's going to be significantly different than the world that we actually experience. And that's why we have to have hope. We're looking forward to this promise that God is going to fulfill, but it's not here yet. And so we read prophets during the season of Advent, and they give us the same sense of kind of uh, the, possible of, the possibility of turmoil and tumult. Uh, we read prophets like Isaiah. This is one of the passages we read this year in, Ad, in Advent from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So he's talking about this kingdom that's coming. That's all righteousness and peace and justice. But we don't have kingdoms like that now. Our world is going to have to be turned upside down to bring a kingdom like that. So we're looking forward to this one who will come and establish that kingdom. That's the tone that we set. And some of the songs we sing, I think, reinforce that. And I didn't get enough of those yet this year, so we're going to sing another one. It's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And while we sing this, I want you to listen for the potential for upheaval, for turning the world upside down. That's even in this song that we sing Uh, quite commonly. So let's sing together. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Spear. 
So we go through this season of anticipation that someday the quarrels and envy and strife will cease, that peace really will come and everything will be set right that is wrong. But it hasn't happened yet. And then all of a sudden angels start showing up with this declaration that the time is now, it's coming. And one of the passages we read was from Luke when the angel appeared to Mary. I want you to hear that story again. She's told that this Emmanuel that we're expecting is soon going to come. Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. The kingdom will never end. Now Mary accepts this call that comes from the angel, and actually... Um, we have right after this her song of praise where she exalts God because she recognizes that God is actually fulfilling his promises as he said and that this is about to happen and that it is going to create a great upheaval. You can even hear this in her song of praise because she talks about rulers will be overthrown, the proud will be brought down, the rich will be sent away empty Those who are humble and poor will be lifted up, and those who are hungry are going to be filled. This is a game changer, this one who is coming. So I want you to continue to think about that while we sing another of my favorite Christmas carols that tells us a little more about how that game is going to change. The song's O Little Town of Bethlehem. Little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. this is maybe where the thing starts to take a descent into discouraging or depressing because when we really think about what we're saying here we're saying that we expect this baby who's born in Bethlehem to have an impact on us 
that we expect there to be some kind of transformative power that comes upon us. And because of that, he has to deal with our sinfulness. And so this picture of everything nice and tidy begins to dissipate. And even though we see this nice town of Bethlehem and the silence and still of the night, we recognize there's something going on here that is really an upheaval. In contrast to what the Christmas cards might have us believe, Christmas does not actually simplify things. It doesn't simplify life on this planet for anyone. It didn't simplify it for Mary and Joseph, and it doesn't simplify it for us. So the Christmas cards depict the Holy Family maybe stamped in gold leaf, all serene and beautiful. And in reality, we have uh, Mary who is not calm at all, but who's actually very anxious. And uh, Luke says she's troubled and very afraid, and the angel has to calm her down. And when the angel tells her this awesome news that you're about to give birth to the one who's going to be the son of the Most High God, she's consumed with a much more mundane question, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And when the shepherds come to see her, they visit her in a barn, and she's just gone through labor and given birth to a son. This is messy. And we understand this is what life is like. Are we willing to recognize that and embrace it? Now, I read a story, interesting story this week about a missionary to China who was just bringing the gospel story to those people for the first time. And as part of that effort, he brought pictures, Christian art. It's kind of like you might see on Christmas cards, I imagine. So he had these pictures of Mary and the baby, and the people who saw these pictures were very drawn to that and they could relate and understand the story. But then as they continued to unfold it, the missionary pulled out pictures of the cross and Jesus on the cross and the crucifixion. And those people couldn't grasp that that could actually happen to this baby. They were actually much more drawn to Mary and they actually started to worship Mary instead of worshiping Jesus on the cross. And I wonder if we tend to move that same direction ourselves. That's kind of a natural tendency to like this kind of mellow, peaceful holiday purged of the mess and purged of all the dysfunction and all the difficulties. We want to remember Christmas in Bethlehem, and we don't often go to the cross. It's easier to just think about that sweet baby gift from Jesus who came and brought the light to the world and rescued us. We don't always go way to how that rescue took place and just exactly what had to happen to accomplish that. One Christmas carol that really helps me make this leap is one that's maybe not quite as common or as popular, but um, I think it's one that you'll still know. So I'd like to ask you to sing this with me and think about the connection of that baby to, to the cross as we sing this. It's called, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. i 
events in Jesus' life, we should have got maybe a little foreshadowing of kind of the menace that was coming. You've heard of Herod, king of the Jews. He was kind of the enforcer in that local area, and when the wise men came to find Jesus, they went to Jerusalem and they talked to Herod and his counselors, and they determined that this baby who would be king was to be born in Bethlehem. And Herod sent the wise men off to find the king, and he said to them, now come back and tell me when you find him so I can worship him too. Well, the wise men didn't go back to Herod. They went a different way, and King Herod was enraged, which is part of his personality, and so threatened by the potential that somebody could become king other than him that he went to Bethlehem and killed every baby boy under the age of two. And history doesn't tell us a whole lot about King Herod other than that he was kind of crazy, and he is known for this one action that he's... It's called the slaughter of the innocents. Did you ever get a Christmas card with that on it? Well, this is part of the story, and it moves Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt, where they're warned because of this threat to go, and he lives as a refugee in Egypt until it's thought to be safe, and then he comes back, grows up in the carpenter shop, and then begins his ministry. But just a few short years down the road, One of the sons of King Herod, who's now ruling, conspires with a guy named Pontius Pilate and a bunch of religious leaders, and they arrest Jesus. They condemn him to death in a trial that's kind of a sham, and they put him on a cross, and they crucify him, and he dies. And those powers that be, those ones who were in charge, thought that by doing this, they were going to kind of be rid of this whole mess, kind of clean the whole thing up and not have to worry about it anymore. They thought that by doing this, they could remain firmly in control. And they couldn't have been more wrong, could they? Because those people who were in power, we don't know too much about. And to this day, we still gather, many of us every week, to worship the baby who was born in the manger, the baby who went to that cross. Now, as I read the Bible stories about Jesus, I can't help but conclude that there's a little different filter than what I often use. And that seems that in a world where everything is tilted toward the rich and toward the powerful, toward those who are in control, it seems like the Bible and God is tilted towards the underdog, toward the poor, toward the needy. 
In fact, this is a direct fulfillment of the song that Mary sang when she found out about Jesus. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And so it occurred to me as I was thinking about these things that there was probably nobody in that day who expected Rome and its empire to go away and be largely forgotten. And the followers of Jesus would continue to this day. But that baby turned the world upside down, didn't he? Now, I'm back to thinking about these photo cards in this passage we read in Colossians chapter 1. I love to get photo cards above all others because it helps me like, connect with people who are part of my life and who have influenced and shaped me. I contrast this with a card I get from a couple named Paul and Mabel, who I knew way back in seminary years and years ago. And I get a card every year that says, Love, Paul and Mabel, on some box card, and there's no note and no nothing. For all these years, I don't know anything about them other than they live in the same address where they've always lived. But then when I get a picture, I get to like, I get an update immediately. I get to see their family. I get to see how they've grown and developed. And sometimes I go back and compare them to past years cards and everything, I feel like there's a connection because it's the people that really matter, isn't it? And when we think about the gospel story going forward from that day until today, we see this like steady stream of people who came to faith in Christ, who loved God and then loved their neighbor and spread the good news of the gospel of this baby who grew up and go to the cross so that we could know God's love and his compassion, his mercy, and that we could share that with anybody who, would, who we could share it with. And that this is sustained by people like you. I, I want to say thank you to all of you. And on behalf of the whole staff, I think I can safely say, we feel like it's a privilege to be part of this congregation, to be part of this ministry, to be part of the community that's here at Cedar Hills. Because we're all part of this, carrying this message forward. And I feel like the Apostle Paul on many occasions, I'll give thanks every time I think of you because we get to do this together and we get to see the gospel continue to expand and move forward into a world that can be dark but who needs light to shine in it. And we shine that light, every one of us. Think about that while you listen to this passage from, from Colossians 1 again. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that sprang from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. See, here's the picture being developed real clearly now. This hope that's at the core of who we are, this is the hope that springs us forward into a world that sometimes threatens to crush us with its darkness. But we have hope that this good news of this gospel is going to continue to prosper and continue to shine light. This movement which started in this region and was kind of first spread, if you read about this shepherd's reaction, it says they went out and told everyone they could about what happened. And then we read about the disciples that Jesus picked and they go out and tell everybody about Jesus. And really within one generation, this goes from a baby born in a manger to the gospel spreading to the entire known world hearing the good news of God's love revealed in Jesus Christ who came and lived and died on the cross and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is waiting to come back again someday to bring his kingdom fully here. And in the meantime, we carry it forward. We carry the light forward. I think that's why Paul says that we have this image of the one who is the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, 
In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and in him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that a beautiful picture of us who carry this message forward? Once we were alienated from God, but now we are reconciled and so we bring that hope to everybody that we can. And we do that sometimes as simply as telling the story of Jesus. And if you're ever worried that simply telling somebody about Jesus isn't enough to transform the world, just remember that Jesus, even as a baby, turned the whole world upside down. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we come before you today and I give you thanks and praise because you are a good God who lavishes us with good gifts, the best gift of all, your very own son. So God, we celebrate and we give you thanks and praise today for that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take the truth of your word and help us to understand and to live it out. I pray that you would help us as your people to be shining like lights out into the darkness, that you would continue to be transforming this world and bringing a little more of your kingdom through us. God, I give thanks for these good people that you've called to be here this morning and for the chance that we have to worship together. Thank you for opportunities we've had in this past week to, to be together with family and friends. God, we thank you for those who have been in our lives who have influenced us and shaped us. And we look forward, God, to those individuals that we are going to influence and shape in the next days and weeks and into the new year. God, I pray for anyone who might be here right now who is feeling like the darkness is closing in on them a little bit. There may be some here who are grieving. They've lost somebody that they've loved. We pray that you'd wrap your arms of comfort around them. There may be some who are here who are in pain, who are hurting, who physically need a touch of your healing. I pray that you'd wrap your arms of healing around them. God, there may be some here who are wrestling with terrible temptation, addiction, sinfulness. They feel like their life is so messed up you can't love them. God, I pray that you'd wrap your strong arms of love around them. God, there's others who may be lonely, who may be facing difficulties financially, who may be facing troubles relationally within their marriages or with their families or with friends. God, whatever the need might be, we know that you want to reconcile all things. You want to fix what's broken in this world and restore light. And I pray that you'd begin that or continue that work here this morning by wrapping your arms around us. Above all, God, we give you thanks again for your love, and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.